0: Blessed are Yodanai, our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Yodanai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring, our offspring's offspring, and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are Yodanai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. (coughs) If you would turn to the Megillah of Kohelet. say the baraka of the Megillah reading and we will read Baruch ta dona'i Eloheinu melcha'lam asher kitzanu bimistavet zivano al mikra megila we'll be reading the 8th chapter uh unto chapter 9 verse 3 By the way, I just want to say a special welcome to Mark Nixon, one of our Lepidniks all the way from North Carolina, and uh, he decided to go to the highest level of Tshuva by moving back to Texas, so, oh man, so he's in the process of doing that, Eretz Israel is the Holy Land, and Texas is just a notch. It's the 49th level below that. So if you want to make the highest level of tshuva, you remove the Fort Worth, which in Hebrew means holy, holy, holy. I'm just, I'm just half kidding. Fort Worth doesn't mean that. All right. who is like Who is like the wise man who knows what things mean? A a man's wisdom lights up his face, and the boldness of of his face is transformed. I counsel you, obey the king's command, and that in the manner of an oath of God. Do not hasten to leave his presence, and do not persist in an evil thing, for he can do whatever he pleases. Since a king's word is law, who would dare say to him, what are you doing? You know, I just want to pause here for a moment because I read something a few weeks ago. just happened to come across um, uh, s- someone uh, commenting, um, somebody who believes in Torah, somebody who just doesn't have access apparently or whatever or know to have access to the sources, talking about the book of Proverbs. And they made a comment. They said, well, when, when, when King Solomon says, My son, heed my commands. He's talking about his commands, not necessarily the commands of Torah. Um, Which is the precise opposite of what Jews have believed for thousands of years. And isn't it awkward that you would have a book lifted to the Scripture that would be your commands, not God's? So whenever the sages, whenever the rabbis, those same ones who gave us communications in the Talmud and Midrash, they're the ones who put the Bible together. So if somebody rejects the, bi- the rabbis, and you have to kind of reject this, don't you? Because the same guy who says, I don't believe you, is the same guy who said that Isaiah's is scripture. I believe you about that, but not this. Selah. But, <laughs> but isn't it awkward that they would get together and say, you know what, King Solomon is giving his his commandments to his son. We're going to make those scripture. That same person would say, don't follow the laws of men. So wait a minute. why, Why is King Solomon's words made scripture now? What I just did was an exercise in logic. Got to train you to use the logic lightsaber. Um. Because some things are so obvious, it's hard to see them. No, King Solomon is talking about the commands of God, the king. Now, this can be read, what I just read is not from Proverbs, obviously, it's from Koholet. It can be interpreted because scripture is very much multifaceted. Here, it's talking about, ultimately, it's talking about follow the commands of the king of kings, who rules over kings. But it's also good advice that when you're in a foreign country, obey the laws of the king right? That's a good idea. So long as the sages would would preface that and say, so long as they don't go against the words of Torah. So we're not going to bow down to somebody's idol because that's the law of the land, right? Right. All right, so in verse 3, do not hasten to leave his presence. Do not persist in an evil thing. By the way, the rabbis teach that when at the conclusion of our prayers, we shouldn't close our sitter and rush away, but we should linger just for a moment. And not just rush out like, oh, amen, let's go. But we should say amen, just linger for a few seconds, because we're not to rush away from the presence of the king. Since a king's word is law, who would dare say to him, what are you doing? How can we even begin to question, why is that in your Torah? Now, it's okay to ask the question as long as you're doing it. You can, Judaism is all about... Asking questions, contrary to many cults where you ask a question, you get kicked out. You can ask the question, why do we do this? But it's not okay to, to say, I'm not going to do it until I know why. Because he's the king, what business do we have? Asking the king, what are you doing? Why, why can't I have that? You know, uh, this is a total aside, it's really off topic, but there was a statement made Once that everything that's forbidden to us to eat, God has given us a substitute that tastes just like it. It's true. In fact, so we're not allowed to eat lobster, not allowed to eat crab, right? Let's stick with lobster because what I'm about to say pertains to lobster. And if you're asking yourself, and I know many of you know this, so pardon me for boring you, but that all of everything we weren't supposed to eat, like everything, that we weren't supposed to eat, and stuff that you've never eaten before, that you're like, what, well, you ate that rabbi? That was my menu. <laughs> my family was Cajun. So, so I find it comical when somebody comes, I don't know if I can go kosher. Oh, yeah. yes, you can. Because <laughs> roast in my house never meant beef roast. But, if you take tilapia which tilapia is kosher despite all the health food people out there that say that it's not raised in the proper way I get that but it's still kosher that doesn't mean you have to eat it it just means it's kosher so let's not get down the GMO, nothing wrong with GMO or anti-GMO I don't want to get shot up here anyway uh, so you take some tilapia, you roll it up, and finely ground pecans and pan-fried in butter tastes just like lobster. Uh-huh. Trust me. <laughs> okay. So, but. At my house, you know, from time to time, we'll make gumbo. We'll make jambalaya. Not always, but we do stuff like that. It tastes just like the stuff. But here's the deal. So what brought this to my mind is I was smoking a brisket yesterday for Rosh Hashanah. Uh. And I was caught up in the cloud of smoke. (laughs) And I was reading about just the different things on my phone there, about the different smokes you can use for meats and what's good and what's not. And so I just read something that just caught my attention. And it said a lot of people like to smoke with hickory. And it just so happened that in the comments about what kind of flavors hickory gives is it says that when you smoke meat with hickory, it gives it kind of a bacon flavor. One of the kind of flavors. So whether that grosses you out or not, I'm just saying that there are things that are kosher, 100% kosher, that provide the same flavor. That's how good God is. He says, don't eat that nasty stuff, but I like the flavor. That's okay. I got you. Hickory. And think about it. Did God make the pig? Yes. Yes. Did He make the hickory stick? Yes. This is why there's no such thing as I can't do the Torah. That is a big lie from the enemy. The snake says, "You can't obey." Think about that for a moment. There's no way you could do this. So the the thing is to do the opposite of it. He—that's what the enemy says to us. He lies to us, says you can't obey the law. So the thing, since you can't obey it, you should you should strive to break it. Just think. Let that sit in. Let that sink in. The enemy tells us first of all, it's a lie. It's a lie. That you cannot follow the entire law. It's a lie. You absolutely can. Do we? No, but that's because we are bad. <laughs> but that's on us, not on him. But the enemy teaches us that since you can't obey it, what you should do is strive to break it. Someone said it's crazy. I know, but, that's, but we believe that kind of stuff. And then we say silly things like God gave us the law so that we would sin. So now we're we're accusing God of making us sin. He, lead me not into, what? I mean, now we're accusing God of, God, you set me up for failure. I gave you. Now, I'm going to ask you something. You know you're not allowed to do that as a police officer, right? You're not allowed entrapment. Thank you. You're not allowed to entrap. Right? I can't entice you to break the law and then bust you for breaking it. But yet we accuse God every time we get up in the pulpit. We accuse God of that every week. Someone said, we don't. Quit being legalistic. (laughs) Work with me. I use we as an empathetic term. I love you people. (laughs) Slamming the rabbi. Uh, We don't. Quit saying it. (laughs) Verse 6. We're going to get through this chapter at some point today. For everything has its time and justice, for man's evil overwhelms him. Indeed, he does not know what will happen, for when it happens, who will tell him? Man is powerless over the spirit to restrain the spirit nor is there authority over the day of death, nor discharge in war, and wickedness cannot save the wrongdoer. The spirit that the sages bring down here, the commentators bring down here, that the spirit that King Solomon is talking about here is the spirit of the angel of death. Nobody can tell the angel of death, not now, I'll be right with you. And no one can say, let me take care of some stuff, and then, it's, then we'll, I'll go with you. Everything is in God's hands, and God has command over the spirit of death, over the angel of death, as it were. All this I've seen, and I've applied my mind to every deed that is under the sun. There is, there is a time when one man rules over another to his detriment. And then I saw the wicked buried and newly come, while those who had done right were gone from the holy place and forgotten in the city. This, too, is futility. Because the sentence for wrongdoing is not executed quickly, that is why men are encouraged to do evil. Let me, uh, on that note, let me share with you a a story that happened to me one time. I had uh, a man in our congregation many, many years ago, came from the Hebrew roots background, and he was very much opposed to meat and dairy separation. You'll notice, and I've said this before, but you'll notice that, and I want you to take note, let me put it this way, of those hot-button issues like meat and dairy separation, man. Somebody will cut you if you if you say that. Uh, what's another one? Calendar issues. You don't want to talk about being militant? Uh, sacred name issues, name of the Mashiach and so on. Circumcisions, another one. These hot button issues that you know you could talk about. Sabbath observance, you could talk about Yom Tov observance, you could talk about a host of other things, wearing seat seat and so on, but you mentioned, you know, but you also should separate meat and dairy. And man, they will just, they're going to take you and your children out and burn your house down. The question becomes, why is that such a hot button issue? Because it's extremely important and very deeply spiritual. So anyway, this man was against the meat and dairy separation, which Again, I just said that whatever you like over here, God presents an alternative. We, last coat. in fact, where is Mr. Klain? There he is back in the back, holding a gun on everybody. <laughs> Chief of security. It was over at their house, last Sukkot, going to have hamburgers. And uh, Shalom says to me, Rabbi, you want to try a little bit of cheese on it, you know, wink-wink, tongue-in-cheek. And uh, I, I hadn't had one of those in, I don't know, a long time. And I said, I guess. Anyway, he found some smoked gouda that was, was uh, vegetarian, parv, vegetarian, hectured, all this, and it was really gouda. Y'all didn't catch it. Y'all, just, y'all were like, went right over that. So anyway... We put it on the hamburgers and had a cheeseburger, and it was good. And it tasted just like it tasted just like smoke good. I was amazed, amazing. Uh, so there, there again, if you really like that kind of stuff, and it's really an issue for you, it's not for me. I mean, it really isn't. But if it is for you, you can go down to Sprouts or Natural Grocer or another other hippy dippy shop like that. And uh, wade through the, <laughs> the wonderful uh, scents of uh, handmade uh, oil soap. <laughs> I heard that. And uh, go get you some fake cheese. <laughs> Kosher. And enjoy it. It's fine. Perfectly fine. Halakhically fine. But, but you know what that is? That's God saying, I got you. You willing to give it up? Yes, sir, I am. I don't, I don't ever have to mix that again. Great. Here you go. Here's your cheeseburger. What? I got you. Don't worry about it. So uh, anyway, this guy was really against that. And it says here, we just read the, uh, the statement. That, you know, basically, uh, where is it? Where is it? Oh, I've seen it in my life. Uh, where was that? Verse 11, yes. Because the sentence for wrongdoing is not ex- executed quickly, that is why men are encouraged to do evil. We're encouraged to do evil because when we sin, we don't see the consequences right away. And so this man looked at me one day, and he said, so, you know, you like to separate meat and dairy? And I said, I don't like to. It's a Torah commandment. Torah <laughs> commandment. Torah <laughs> commandment, not rabbinical. Torah. Watch my video on, on www.youtube backslash C, backslash my, sorry, <laughs> Subscribe today. Click the little bell icon. Um, so <laughs> he said, well, I, the other night I was making some hamburger helper. And I put it all together, and I said, he re- tried to say the divine name, which was wrong. And he said, if this is going to hurt me, then let it hurt me right now. He said, I took a bite. He said, nothing happened. And that was his validation proof that meat and dairy mixed together was quite all right. And I said, wow. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Did you not watch the movie? There's only one scripture, or only one mitzvah, rather, we're allowed to tempt God on or or test him. What is it? I I didn't hear you. God. Tithing. Verse 12, uh, because a sinner does, does what is wrong a hundred times and he's patient with him, yet nevertheless I'm aware that it will be well with those who fear God, those that show fear before him. So we're not to go by, and this is a beautiful thing too. We're not to go by whether or not things are going good or not going good because generally, if you're in Torah, you're going to be living a, a blessed life. But then bad things happen. And that can't be our barometer. Like Cena said to me so many times, we're going to do right because it's right. Yeah. Not because of the, what we see as an outcome. And too many people live their life that way. Well, I, one person said to me one time, just, I've been doing this for a long time, I've got lots of little stories. Someone said... Well, I've been keeping the Sabbath, and I haven't seen much change in my life. And I said to that person, well, the problem is your heart, so you're doing it for the wrong reason. so God's, he, you're, you're not going to get there. You've got to abandon yourself to God's will, and then watch your life transform. You're still going to have difficulty. You're still going to have tragedy. You're still going to get sick. Things are going to happen. But even in those times, you bless God. And you watch him take care of situations like that. And help you out with them. And don't freak out. Uh, so it says here in verse thirteen. We on thirteen yet? Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm I'm all over the place. It says, and that it, that and that it will not be well with the wicked, and will and, and he will not endure like a shadow because he does not fear God. Verse fourteen. There is a futility that takes place on earth. Sometimes there are righteous men. ...who are treated as if they had done the deeds of the wicked, Yeshua. And there are wicked men who are treated as if they had done the deeds of the righteous. I declared this too a vanity. So I praised enjoyment, for man has no other goal under the sun but to eat, drink, and be joyful. And this will accompany him in his toil during the days of his life which God has given him beneath the sun. When I set my mind to know wisdom and to observe the activity which had taken place on earth... For even day or, or night it's, its eyes see no sleep, and I perceive all the work of God. Indeed, a man cannot fathom the events that occur under the sun, inasmuch as man tries strenuously to search but cannot fathom it. And even though a wise man should presume to know, he cannot fathom it. For all this, verse, chapter 9, For all this I noted, and I sought to ascertain all this, that the righteous and the wise together with their actions are in the hand of God, Whether love or hate, man does not know, all preceded them. All things come alike to all. The same fate awaits the righteous and the wicked, the good and the clean, the unclean, the one who brings a sacrifice and the one who does not. As is the good man, so is the sinner. As is the one who swears, so is the one who fears an oath. In other words, we all die. Verse 3, our last verse, This is an evil about all things that go under the sun, that the same fate awaits us all. Therefore, the heart of man is full of evil and the madness in their heart while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. Sobering. That We all die. Everybody dies. That is, the, that is the fate of all men. And therefore, we have to put things that matter first, first and foremost. And those are spiritual things. I am uh, not at all against, in any way, shape, or form, healthy living, healthy eating. Bez Hashem, with God's help, I will renew, reinvigorate my exercise program in 5780. Bez Hashem. It's been a whole year of nothingness. And I've been... I would say I've been dwindling, but that's not what's going on. I haven't been dwindling. I'm not dwindling. I'm growing. I'm not against healthy eating. I'm not against healthy living. Some people, though, make a religion out of it. And I'm just going to say something right now that's the truth. And and I I don't want to be misunderstood. I want you to eat healthy. I want you to live healthy want you to do your very best to do that because it will extend your life and that's a godly thing to do. At the same time, you can take every vitamin in your cabinet every day. You can eat organic. You can drink nothing but fresh squeezed orange juice squeezed by your hand every day. All right, you can avoid all the meat and all the whatever you want to eat. You can never eat tilapia. And you are going to die. You will die. You'll be a very, very beautiful-looking person when you die. But you're, you're going to die. Now that doesn't mean don't do it. I didn't say that. Please don't misunderstand me. Rabbi, he just eats nothing but GMO and Twinkies. That's not what I said. I know I look like that, but I'm, start, I'm getting better. I'm going to start the program. All right? I can hold my own, so don't test me. <laughs> I'll be slow getting there but but I also believe in taking care of the environment I believe in that too I believe we should be good stewards that we should take care of stuff at the same time that doesn't need to become our religion either we don't need to worship Mother Earth because Mother Earth didn't create herself and the Bible says the Earth is going to wear out like a garment so no matter what we do and we can't really do anything, other than just be good stewards. It's still going to decline. I believe it. I also believe I, I'm. I'm a. I have a soft heart towards animals. That's why squirrels still live on my property. Give him a chip. And uh, you know, but again, we don't need to worship animals. We need to worship God, and we need to understand that what is most important in our life is spiritual things, and all things put into into perspective. All things put into perspective. I want to go back and look at a verse in the three hours I have remaining. (laughs) Wisdom preserves the life of its possessor. This is from last week's reading in Kohelet 7.12. It's just an interesting note from Ma'am Loez's commentary. It says, to that verse, it says, In another sense, wisdom preserves the life of its possessor in the world to come. This reflects the teaching of our sages. Now listen to this. This reflects the teachings of our sages that whoever puts to use the light of the Torah, the light of the Torah gives him life. Now, Yeshua said, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy... But I've come that they might have life and life more abundantly. In John chapter 10 and verse 10. Who is Yeshua? Yeshua is the Torah made manifest. He is the living, breathing, walking Torah. So what the sages said and what Yeshua said is the same thing. Whoever puts the light of Torah to the use, they will receive the life that the Torah gives. And Yeshua says, whoever comes to me will have life and life to the full. Because the Mashiach is the living Torah. Another statement from uh, along these lines, from that same verse, Ma'am Loez says, When one provides a morsel of bread for a Zodiac, it is as if one fulfills all the commandments of the five books of Moses. And if one performs an act of kindness for a great sage of the Jewish people, it is as if he did a kindness for all Israel. Now this goes back to a very ancient idea that, there were certain people in, back in antiquity, normally Levites and, and Kohanim, Levites and priests, who spent their entire day studying Torah, and not just studying Torah, but you know they were counseling people and officiating weddings and dealing with milahs and all kind of hosts of other stuff. In other words, their whole life was ministry. And there were other people who worked the fields and worked their the ranches and worked in business and commerce and did not have that ability and so they felt, I don't want to say they felt slighted, but you know, you, you feel like, man, I wish I had, I wish I had all the rabbi's time. <laughs> and so the sages said, listen, when you bless, when you give charity, when you give your tithes and so on, that you are, you are partaking in all those blessings. You're essentially giving to Hashem that the kingdom can advance, and so... Maybe your study time is not as much or your ministry time is not as much as somebody who's in that position, but you're accredited to that. And there's scriptural basis for this has to do with uh, Issachar and Zebulun working together and the blessing that comes from the book of Bratius. But I just want to point out that Yeshua, this is talking about if you give to a Zodek, if you give to a Torah scholar, but Yeshua, as he often does, takes the mitzvah to a higher level. He says in the book of Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 46, he says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothed you? And when did we see you sick or even in prison and come to you? And answering the king will say to them, Amen, I tell you, whatever you did to one of these, the least of my brothers, you did to me. And of course he asked the wicked the same thing. He says, You never did that. And he said, What are you talking about? Because you never gave. So Yeshua is saying here that when you give sadaqah, when you give, that it it is as if you are giving unto Hashem. And again, many of us know this. This is not a profound thought, but it's worth remembering that this is how we share in the blessings. Just to put it in practical terms, uh, many of you have not, most of you I should say, have not been involved in putting together the plans of the mikvah. You're, you're not going to be involved in the construction of the mikvah and all the things that go about it, all the different aspects of it to make it a reality. But when you give to it, you might as well have had the shovel in your hand. You might as well have made the plans yourself. You might as well have done all the inspections because when you give to it, you're giving unto Hashem so it can come and become a reality. And all the blessings that mean anything about it are now upon you. Another insight from last week's portion before we dive into into a couple of thoughts of chapter 8. It says in chapter 7 and verse 16, Do not be overly righteous nor subtle in your wisdom. Why be left desolate? I I want to say this because I very much believe in a life of, of balance. We have to have a life of balance. So, it says in the commentary of Mamloez that basically we're not supposed to become monks or very ascetic in our, in our lifestyle. We're not to become monks and hermits and to, and to re- refrain from, from the world. We're supposed to be in the world but not of the world. That is a Jewish idea, in the world but not of the world. That's what we're supposed to do as Jews. So it says, our sages warn against the destructive... Effects of envy, lust, the seeking of honor. But Ma'am lois writes, but be not overly righteous in the other extreme. Do not say, I will deny myself meat and wine. Do not say, I'm never going to get married, nor live in a pleasant home and make sackcloth my proper attire. This too is false and forbidden. And one who follows this path is a sinner. That's what Ma'am Loez brings down. We're called to enjoy. This is what Kehol, Ke, uh, the, 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 the preacher, Keholet, is saying, is that we're supposed to enjoy what God has given us to enjoy. And if we forbid to ourselves what God has permitted to us, we are, in effect, playing God. And very many people will say, well, I don't want to do what the rabbis say because that's just the rules of men. And yet they'll say, but I don't believe in drinking alcohol. You just made up a rule of men. I've said before, and I know this will make people upset, but Paul said don't get married. Paul was wrong. There's a few times where Paul was just wrong. You know why? Because Paul was a man. He's a human being like me. Now, I am human. I am human, y'all. <laughs> Contrary to all the reports that are out there. Now, there's some stuff where he was writing some things, and he was just, he was just incorrect. Like the don't ask, don't tell on Kashri. That's not right. The Scripture says about the Nazarite who merely denies himself wine and atone for him that he has sinned upon the soul. Numbers 6.11 It is sufficient to keep away from those things, Ma'am Loez writes, which the Torah has forbidden, even if one is fearful that by partaking of what is permitted he may come to excess and sin. Be not overly righteous, nor subtle in your wisdom, says Kohelet, to those who deny the world By constant fasting and vows of abstinence or who long for the hermit's station among the cliffs to serve God. Why be left desolate in your body? We're not not supposed to prohibit to ourselves that which God has permitted. That makes us sinners and, and because we're adding to God's laws. Most people are shocked when they read Deuteronomy 14 where God says, listen, I want you to celebrate the festivals. I want you to take some money. I want you to buy some meat, strong drink. But we're not allowed to get drunk, right? We're not allowed to, to eat until excess, right? We can have marital relationships. We can have intimate relationship with the opposite, with the opposite sex. Like, I'm going to make that abundantly clear. As long as we're married in that relationship, right? But you can't say, well, I'm not going to get married. there," And as a result of me not getting married, I'll be able to do better ministry. <laughs> you want to make teshuva be married? Oh, no, man, this is where you don't say anything. Because you know how it is. try trying to make tshuva, and you're like, Hashem, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit down here, and I'm going to read some Torah, Hashem, and Dav, and you sit down. Honey, can you come here and get this for me? Yes, yes. And like Captain America, you say, is this a test? And he says, yes, it is. Because he wanted you to do the word and not just hear the word only. Amen. It says foolish piety applies to the critically ill person who refuses to nourish themselves on Yom Kippur. It applies to the man who does not save a drowning woman lest he gaze upon her. It applies to the one who waits to take off his tefillin before going to the rescue of a child that in the meantime loses his life in the water. The sages taught, therefore, be not overly righteous. Says so another rendering of, of the phrase, uh, be not excessively wise in your Torah wisdom, that, therefore exceeding your deeds. You will be like a tree whose branches are many, but whose roots are few. When the wind comes, it will over, uproot and overtake you. In other words, be somebody who you say, well, I don't know much. I'm not a big Torah scholar. Are you keeping Torah? Are you living live in the mitzvot? Yes, you You got deep roots. If you regard yourself as being wiser, Ma'am Loez no, writes, if you regard yourself as being wiser than you truly are, you will be left desolate. You will appear empty of everything that is within you. Now, I want to get to this one insight from chapter 8 about the faces glowing. Because what, um, what is written here by the Kohelet is that when we have wisdom, our faces glow. Now the wisdom that is spoken of here and also in Proverbs is ultimately the wisdom of Torah. And he writes that when we have this wisdom, our face glows. This is what happened when Moshe went up to meet Hashem. And it says he came down and his face was glowing. Why? Because he was in the presence of the living Torah. And they had to put a veil on his face so that he didn't scare the people. But... What people don't know is that every time he spoke to the people, they removed the veil and he spoke to them so that there could be nothing between him, the living Torah, and the people. But because of the golden calf incident, the people had lost that internal Torah. We we lost our stature, and now instead of having the Torah engraved on on our hearts, we had only the Torah on tablets of stone. And therefore, we could not endure that glow, and that glow is therefore fading. Now, there's precedence for this, because in the Midrash Rabbate, it says this, And the boldness of his face is transformed. That transpired when the Holy One, blessed be he, said to Adam, Have you eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that I commanded you not to eat? And the Holy One, blessed be he, also transformed the boldness of his face and evicted Adam from the Garden of Eden. So Adam's face was glowing, and indeed his entire body was glowing. But when he sinned, he lost the glow. And when we were at Mount Sinai, we were standing there. Moses goes up to get the first set of tablets, the sapphire tablets, and we are glowing. There's no sickness. There's no disease. Everybody's on cloud nine. Comes down with... Those original sapphire tablets, and we're dancing around the golden calf, and we lose our glow. So with this, I want to take us to one of the letters of Paul, chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and with that information, I want to try to bring clarity to this passage. Second Corinthians chapter 3, apparently some people are upset because Paul didn't go to the right yeshiva. They're trying to find out if he has smika. Let, yeah, let's not deal with the message. Let's deal with the credentials. Are we beginning to command, commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you Or from you. You yourselves are a letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you're a letter from Messiah, the results of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. See, Paul or Shaul gets it. He understands that what Yeshua has done has made it possible for the Torah to indwell in the hearts of men and women. He says, such confidence as this is ours through Messiah before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Now, I've covered this extensively this week in the Aliyah Day, that in the Jewish mind, a new covenant in the Jewish mind. And remember, Jews wrote the Bible. Right? Remember, Paul's Jewish, right? Right? Okay, so therefore, if we want to understand the Bible, probably good to ask Jews, not Germans. Or, Or ask Jews, not Russians. Or ask Jews, not Eskimos. Probably want to ask the ones who wrote it, right? What you meant by it. And so, from a Jewish mind, New Covenant never, ever, ever, ever means something brand new. It always, always, always means a renewal of covenant. So he says, He made us competent as ministers of a renewed covenant, not of the letter but of the Spirit, for the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with with the surpassing glory. The second set of tablets that Moses got were, were nowhere near as wonderful as the first set. And if it was fading away, or if that which was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which will last forever? Remember, the second set of tablets were made out of earth stone. We just learned that the earth is fading away, right? But the first set of tablets were made with sapphire stone from God's throne, which lasts forever. So verse 12 says, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses. Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. Verse 14, But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. That veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. So because we don't have the indwelling of the rule of Hakodesh and and Yeshua making the, the, the Torah written on our hearts, when we read the Torah, we don't really get it. But what happens? It says, now many people, they stop right there and they teach, the theology they teach is that the Torah is taken away. That's how we make things better. But that's not what Paul said. Paul said this it has not been removed because only in Messiah is it taken away. Is what taken away? The veil, not the law, the veil. He said, even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But, say, but, but, but whoever, or excuse me, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Say, the veil, taken away. the veil is taken away. So you have somebody in our modern society and they like to rob banks. And they just won't stop robbing banks. And you talk to them and counsel with them, and they say, you know, you're right, and then they go right out and rob a bank. So you decide that the best way to help this person is to remove from the penal code anything that says anything that's wrong about robbing a bank. Problem solved. Can't break the law if there's no law, right? Goodbye. Uh Uh-huh. That's what's taught, right? Can't break the law if there's no law. Because, see, the problem with the bank robber was that there was a law that said, don't break a bank, rob a bank. And, and because he read that law, because he studies the penal code, you know, he, that, that brought up in his spirit a desire to rob a bank. And that's why he did it, you see. It wasn't because of his sin nature. Oh, no. It wasn't because that he, he, he just chose to do it. No, 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 no. It was because God made him do it. So the best way, the most compassionate way, however, the most compassionate thing to do would be to remove the law. Let him be under grace. Because, see, that's the problem. Now, nobody believes that in that scenario. The best thing to do for this guy is to help him help remove the veil off of his face to now want to obey the law. It's logical, right? But we don't teach that theologically. We teach the exact opposite. So it's odd that many believers are very conservative usually and very much against crime, and yet theologically we promote it. On the one hand, as conservatives, we very much teach that obedience to the law and to be law-abiding citizens. But in the kingdom, we teach break the law all the time because that's what the king wants. And then we wonder why gay marriage happens. And we wonder why all this other nonsense happens. Because we teach disobedience to law. And then we wonder why our country which was based on Judeo-Christian philosophy, is now a lawless nation. Because as goes the pulpit, so goes the country. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And Yaakov, James, in his letter says that we should follow the law, the law that gives freedom. And in the Torah we learn that it says, inscribed on tablets... And the word inscribed in Hebrew also means freedom on the tablets. In fact, you could argue and you would be right that once we get the guy to stop robbing the banks and therefore obey the law, he will actually have freedom because he'll no longer be in jail. That's true freedom. Trust me. Us. Trust us. True freedom is not breaking the law. Because all the people that break the law end up in a facility they can't get out of, and yet theologically we teach people to break the law all the time, and somehow teach that when you do that you'll end up free. We get people in the room and say the best way to be free is go rob a bank, and the sheriff is going, "What are you doing?" The best way to be free is not to break the law. Oh, that's right. But see, I heard that in Sunday school. All right, one last thing and I'm out. <laughs> and it says, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. What is Paul talking about? He's talking about we need to be like Moses come down off the mountain. Where was he up, what was he doing up there? Getting the law of God. He said, we need to preach this message now with, with faces aglow. We are being transformed into His likeness. Why? Because the Torah is the DNA of God. With ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Ruach. Baruch haba bashem Adonai.